0: This is real food, handmade by people who love what they do. This is Cheese by Hand. Today we are in Galax, Virginia, visiting Meadow Creek Dairy.
1: And I think having the strong dairy background and dairy orientation that we have has a big effect on what we do in our product. You know, I think however you come into it, it's going to have an effect. But we've tried to keep that in mind and keep that as one of our strengths. And I did a lot of milking. I don't milk a lot now, although I'm milking more this year than I have. I milk on weekends now, and it's nice. I love being back in the parlor for a couple of days a week again and having that contact and remembering the cows' names because I had gotten out of touch with them. And So, and we really try and promote that with most of the people that work for us. I mean. Half of our workforce is family, and they have always worked on the dairy, whether they wanted to or not. But um, even the new people we bring in, we try and cross them. If they work in the dairy, we try and have them work a little bit in the cheese, because that feeling of the whole thing. And I think one of the things that's hard being a dairyman is the isolation. And so the cheese breaks that isolation, and Rick and I learned that. We found that, you know, you weren't isolated. You had so much more contact because you were selling to people, and it changed us a lot, and it made us a lot better. You don't, you, don't you, know, within, you know, draw in so much. And so we wanted to give that to the other people and have that pride in the end product. So they're milking and they're slaving away in the parlor, but there's, you know, there's this end product that they are creating as much as
0: I am. Helen and Rick Feet entered dairy farming as fluid milk producers. About nine years ago, they began making cheese to diversify and to add value to their high-quality milk. We sat with them and discussed the impulse that led them to rural farm life from a more suburban existence and about the influences that affect the style of farm they run today. How'd I lose that coin toss? <laughs> um,
1: let's see. We started being interested in dairying around 1980 when my first child was born. Rick was working construction and was never home, and we decided we couldn't handle that lifestyle started looking at different agricultural lifestyles. We don't have any agricultural background. Both of us grew up more or less in a suburban environment. And we went into dairying because it was a steady income as versus something like beef where you have to deal with a lot of seasonal flows. We knew at least we would have a planned income. We could both be home with our kids. Really, the initial reason was because we wanted to raise our family and be with them, not be apart from them. No, we pretty much reacted against the model we had seen because we were on a total confinement dairy, you know, where the cows were not turned out at all. And really just from a financial standpoint, it took so much money to get into that kind of dairying that you almost had to inherit it. You almost had to come in so you weren't buying the land. So we were starting from scratch. We had to buy the land, we had to buy the cattle, we had to buy the equipment. And to be able to do a confinement style, you would have had to do all that equipment for making corn silage you know, is just massive investment. So we were in business for ourselves 10 years bef- milking before I started making cheese. But then also, my kids were older, so it was a little bit freer and I could get out there and do it. And it, is, it really has gotten so much better. There were so many hard years in there that I don't even want to think about them again. You know, it was really tough. And as we evolved this, it just got so much better because I had something of my own. And then it was much easier to work together and to figure out the teamwork.
0: Helen is the cheesemaker, and Rick's focus is on the land and animals. They have about 100 Jersey cows on 125 acres. This separation of duty is not just about keeping separate books, but about ownership and pride.
2: Up until recently, we actually ran separate books the two businesses. So on paper, Helen was buying the milk from me. I never saw a nickel, by the way.
1: There's a lot more labor in my business than Rick's. You know, it just, it takes more people. It takes a lot of hands-on, you know, because we're trying for a European-style cheese and we're trying for a handmade cheese. And so, and we also, from the beginning, wanted to learn to make our cheeses more in the cellar than the vat. And so that takes a lot of labor. And it's also taken a lot of learning curve, you know, which eventually, you know, has to be paid for somehow. And it's just, it's just adds
0: up. Rick and Helen have that great self-deprecating air about them. It is a type of humor that comes from experience and confidence. Confidence in the things that they believe in, and also the willingness to acknowledge mistakes and hardships.
2: So we're probably looking in the future and reducing herd numbers and using less or possibly eliminating the wholesale milk business because right. we're not going to do it if it doesn't make money because it's just not that enjoyable a hobby
1: yeah we got we got tired of living like serfs we lived like serfs for a lot of years by choice you know it was our choice and then we just suddenly became conscious of it <laughs> we're like wait a minute (laughs) why are we slaving we're in business for ourselves you know we've rejected capitalism and we're not getting anywhere (laughs) we need to make money we need to make some money we need to make a reasonable amount so we can do some of these things we want to do and one of them was to be able to go to Europe or to New Zealand or you know to be able to have those learning experiences if you don't even make enough money to get off the farm to learn then you're not going to get ahead so we kinda did a turnaround and went nope it's okay to make money We just came out of this back-to-the-land kind of philosophy that it made you feel almost ashamed of making money. I I don't know what it was about. But anyway, we outgrew that, and it's a lot better.
2: But that's one of the the legs of sustainability that we were talking about was, you know, if it's not financially – I mean, the land value is so enormous now that what's to keep the next generation from just selling the farm for development and cashing in on – a million-dollar piece of property, rather than slaving. If they're not going to make money, if it's not going to be lucrative for them, then they're not going to do it. So the land will be, have a bunch of McMansions on it, or, or whatever, or trailers, or whatever. And that, that, So in order for the farm to be sustainable at all and to take that seriously, we have to know that somebody's going to be able to make some money here, and you don't have to take vows of poverty in order to work on the land
0: if there is one thing you learn about speaking with the feats, it is sustainability. This is the guiding principle for how they approach their farm. As they fielded our questions about grazing methods and farm certifications, we saw that across the board, all of these were answered by following their commitment to sustainability.
1: But with organic, I think some of our problem is that while we don't use antibiotics routinely by any means probably only use them once or twice a year we want to reserve the right we want to say if that cow is sick it is more important to us to save that cow than to say no there's not a chance at all that this antibiotic ever got into your milk or cheese we won't allow it to do that you know but people have to take our word for it because we don't want to give up that tool so that's kind of why we've dragged our feet with that a lot of our principles you know would fall right in line and it's also hard to get things like the grain, the feed, you know, the concentrates here. And we would have to truck it all the way across the country. And that's not necessarily sustainable <laughs> to well, bring your feed in.
2: A lot of the feed of our, of our concentrate ration, only about a third of it is grain. The rest are byproducts like citrus pulp and wheat mids. And in the past, we've used some others, distiller's grain and soybean meal, which is a byproduct of soybean extraction, oil extraction, but we've rejected the bean meal and the distiller's grain because of the GMO crops that are used to process that. We're sticking with the citrus pulp and the wheat mids, but those are garbage crops or those are garbage commodities that are valuable feeds. If we were organic, we couldn't use them. We would have to replace that with grains unless we could find the miracle source of organic citrus, pulp, and organic wheat mids, so we would be forced to remove more food, potentially human food, from the food chain to feed our cows, which is less sustainable.
0: There might be a decision that Helen and Rick haven't considered regarding their farm, but you would be hard-pressed to find it. Every decision is a deliberate choice, and each choice is seen through their lens of sustainability they spend little time complaining. Rather, they focus their attention on how to work as efficiently as possible within the existing system without compromising their integrity.
1: Because I think that it's a, a different product, not a better product, but a different product when you know that that cheese was sourced from that milk on that farm, from that grass, you know, from those conditions. It just creates a different cheese. And so I think for people to know and understand that is huge. We've always really pushed being farmstead and are really proud of it. That level of control, again, you don't have to just take the milk that comes to you. I can say, Rick, I want better milk.
0: <laughs> well, this is a whole milking from last night and this morning. No, it was just this morning. morning. Just this morning. I take one full milking
1: and I don't cool milk at all. So, so this milk's at... That's right, about 90, a little over 90. And so I really like using fresh milk, and I think that's, it can have some drawbacks, but I think that's something with raw milk that's an advantage is not to store it very long. Now, I would do overnight, and I occasionally do, but then you're not working with any of the bacteria that can grow in the cold temperatures. This is straight from the cow. So it comes straight over here, and it never hits those milk tanks.
2: Well, the one rule about commodity production of any kind, I guess, well, I'm just primarily familiar with just the dairy, but anytime you produce a product that's above the minimum standards, you're essentially penalized because you're not rewarded. So if you incur a cost to produce, say, 200,000 somatic cell count when the legal limit is 750, and you don't receive any monetary reward, then you're, you're penalized for producing that higher quality product. So my question is, how long are people psychologically and socially going to put up with that? And then on the cus- consumer end, I hate to use the word consumer, but on the consumer end, they're, you know we've got the highest health costs in the world, and we're not that healthy. And I think it's just it's going to become more and more apparent that that's got a lot to do with our diet and our lack of concern for what we eat and, and the value that is non-monetary of what we eat. I would like to see the government, and I, I think that farmers aren't that special, that small business is under siege in this country, and I think that the government should stop supporting huge business to the point that it is over across the board. And I don't think farmers are really that. I think they whine louder than a lot of small businesses. But I don't think there's a significant difference otherwise. So I would like to see them, corporate America to, to pay some more of the true costs of doing business and, uh, and let us compete and let, see if that didn't straighten some things out. I don't think the government can straighten out small farms you know, as a targeted industry. I think that that would be a, just another circle.
0: By the nature of their location, Meadow Creek has to sell nationally. Like many producers, it is a choice they do not take lightly, but one that for now they accept for the greater goal of local sustainability.
1: Well, it's challenging. We've had to go to a national market, or we've, I guess we've been able to go to a national market, which has allowed us to make so much more. You know, in this small community, we, I mean, you know, and the community does support us, and they do come out and buy cheese, but it's just, you know, you just can't do enough or make enough of a living with that. So we need the national. But at the same time, you're like, well, you're, you know, you're contributing to all this, you know, petroleum use and shipping it all over the country and all this ice to keep it cold enough. And, you know, some of that feels a little wrong. But that's what we need to do. And, you know, it's great that we can get out there. I don't know how you can change that model enough to make it viable locally now.
2: Well, I think some of the local, local consumer trends are some fallacies because, I mean, if you go down to McDonald's and spend five bucks, you could have had a piece of cheese and some bread and, and fruit. So that's a choice that the local people have made, and I think that eventually things will swing around. We hope, and people will put more priorities where where they really belong, and where they where they did in fact belong as soon as as little as 20 years ago in this region. You know, food was a central part of everybody's life, and now it's just something that you spend money on as little and as little time as possible. So, you know, the people around here might not have much money in their pocket, but they sure are spending it. And it's how they spend it is really the big choice.
0: Listening to Helen and Rick is exactly what you expect and hope that farmers are like. Strong integrity, deep commitment to the land and animals, and a desire to do good. In fact, it's what we want out of everyone not just farmers. But farmers have long served as our barometer for what America is and what it can be. We don't think of investment bankers or movie executives when we think about honor and rigor. Rather, we look to people like the Feats to remind us of what makes up the backbone of our country.